want to express to him how much you love him how much he means to you I love that song that y'all were worshiping too just a moment ago I want more I believe that's the cry of every true son and daughter of God we're not satisfied where we're at today not satisfied with the experiences of yesterday but I want more and what's laid on my heart is so does he he wants more. I pray that we can just give him that today. Let's talk to the Lord. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, sweet spirit is in this place, Lord. Lord, we recognize that you've already moved into this room, Lord, and that you're here, Lord, to commune with your sons and daughters. Lord, and in this moment, we want to yield ourselves to you and surrender our hearts and our tongue and everything that we have to you and allow you to speak, Father. Lord, even if it were to go a, a completely different direction from what I have in front of me, Lord, what I want right now is for you to take control. I want you to speak, Lord, and I pray that we'll find, Lord, open hearts ready to receive your word. Lord, because I believe, Lord, that you do all things well. Lord, I believe, Lord, that today you're going to speak to your people. Lord, you're going to reveal yourself, Lord, maybe even in ways that I didn't expect. Lord, I just ask now that you'll take control, Lord, that you'll control, Lord, my mouth, control the ears of the people, Lord, that you can just have your way. That's our desire, Lord. Have your way. Speak now, Lord, as we surrender our hearts to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, saints. It's wonderful to be gathered together with you in his wonderful presence. And if you have your Bibles with you, we'll just get directly into the word and look in John 19. John 19 and verse 28. John 19, verse 28. 
We may go through a lot of scriptures, a lot of quotes and things today, and, and, and hopefully this has really just been burning on my heart for a while, and it was actually the direction I was going to go last time we preached here, and the Lord just took it a different way. We never got to it, and it's just been burning on my heart, and I just pray the Lord to help me to deliver it today. Amen. John 19 and verse 28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. I'd like to speak to you today on, oh, that one would give me drink. Oh, that one would give me drink. I pray the Lord add his blessings as you take your seats. You know, we talk about a lot of times... You know, the devil trying to rob the moving of the spirit and trying to rob worship and coming in to try to make the church formal. But really, when we talk like that, that that's kind of what we would call the macro or the, or the big picture. Because really, we need to bring that down more personal because it's easy to disconnect when we talk about the macro. But what he wants to rob is you. It's not that he wants to just rob evening light tabernacle. He wants to rob you as an individual. It's an, in, it's an individual thing. And he wants to rob your worship. And he wants to make you cold and make you formal. And, and like I said, generally we speak of, of services, even of a service in, in a group setting. We'll say things like, man, we had a really powerful service today. We had a really good service today. And I want to say, okay, that's good, but did you have a good service today? Did you have a power? Don't, don't talk about what happened in this building. What happened in your heart? What happened in your soul? Were you able to push through? Were you able to fight past the hindrances? Were you able to get to the well where you were supposed to get to? Not everybody else got there and everybody else had an experience and the atmosphere was wonderful. But what was your atmosphere? What did you get out of the service? Did, were, were you fully invested? Did you get everything that you needed? And, and did you give everything that was needed? Not only did you receive, but did you give everything that he needed? Did he get what he showed up for out of you in this service? And so I want us to approach every, uh, every service with this mindset. If I was the only one here today, if I was the only person in this service, would the Holy Spirit have been pleased with the worship? If I was the only one in this building today, would his thirst have been quenched by what I gave? Not the congregation, but by what I gave. And, and lots of times... You know, people will, will, will discuss or question, well, well, how should we worship? What is acceptable? What's needed? Is this out of order or, or is that out of order? And I'll tell you the most out of order thing you could ever do is to withhold worship when he's calling for it. That is the most out of order thing you could ever do in the house of God is withhold the worship 
that he calls for or that he comes by looking for. We have a personal responsibility to not withhold our worship from him. And to give him everything that we got. It's Memorial Day weekend. Set aside to remember those who gave their life that we could live in a free country. Set aside to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice that, and died for our freedom and for our liberty. And tomorrow, especially, folks are going to pause and, and have get-togethers to remember the service men and the service women who gave their life. But today is another Memorial Day. Today, I want us to pause for a minute and remember the one who died for our freedom. The one who died for our liberty. And not only that he died, but he suffered awful, terrible things for your salvation, for your healing, and for your deliverance. And today he's worth remembering. And we read there in the scripture. Here he was hanging there, the very fulfillment of the scriptures. The one that they had longed to see, the Messiah, the prophet like unto Moses, the wisdom of Solomon, the Psalms of David. Standing there before people operating and fulfilling exactly what the word had declared. Exactly what the word said he would be. And yet they could not see it. The promises had been taught to them since they were little children. Generation after generation after generation. That a Messiah is going to come. A deliverer is going to come. And they had it all studied out all through the word. And they knew it perfectly. I dare say they knew it much better than we know even the message or the Bible that we read, they knew it. They said you could take a scroll and stick a needle through it and they would tell you which words within the scroll that it touched. They knew it so perfectly and yet when it was manifested in front of their face, they weren't able to recognize it and they rejected the very one who came to set them free. When it came more humbly than what they thought it would. Come on now, when, when it comes in a way that they didn't expect, when it came through a conception that they could not believe, then they rejected it. Even though the, the word that they had studied had told them a virgin would conceive. And yet when they're faced with the supernatural, when they're faced with the manifestation of it, they can not believe it. Now, come on, that's a road that we can't allow ourselves to go down this day. To where we, we can't go down a road to where we've studied the message and, and, and we studied the message and, and we know it inside and out and we know every letter of it and that's good. You should study the message, but we can't reject the fulfillment of that message. We can't come to a place where when it stands in front of us, we don't like the way it's fulfilled. We don't like the way it came because it doesn't fit with what we figured out. When fulfillment doesn't match what we expected or it falls into a category that we're not, not comfortable with, we have a tendency to doubt it. Oh, is that really how it should be? Is that really how it should move? Is that really how it should operate? And it comes up time and time again. They loved the scripture, but they didn't love the scripture with skin on it. We love the quotes. People love the quotes, but they don't like the quotes when they begin to take skin on it. When it begins to manifest itself in reality, they don't like it when a quote comes to life. Listen, the message of the hour, 
The word of God will be manifested in living, breathing human beings with skin on it. There is a church. There is a people. There are individuals who are going to take the message and it's not going to be on paper. It's not going to be on tape. It's not going to be on shelves. They are going to be the manifestation, the spoken word bride of this hour. Listen, it is amazing to me to think you are literally the spoken word bride. What does that mean? This message spoke you into existence we are here today because of this message we believe today because of this message we know who we are today because of this message we are the fulfillment of this message don't let that choke you it was always about you it wasn't about God sent a prophet thank God he did but he pointed to you it's a shame that we got to point back To find manifestation. The prophet manifested. The prophet manifested. That's good. He manifested what he spoke. But somebody's going to manifest what they have heard. Quit pointing back to manifestation. When he pointed to you as the manifestation of the whole thing. Don't reject the manifestation when it comes. It isn't enough for the message to be manifested in the messenger. Man, people actually began to worship and deify Brother Branham. Not because he pointed to himself, he never did. But because he actually manifested what he was talking about. And it was unusual and it has to get to a place to where it's not so unusual to see things manifested. Where it doesn't blow our mind, but it was so mind blowing and so unusual that people actually began to worship him. But at some point, we have to get to where it's not unusual, to where the quotes and the message and our expectations all come together and do more than talk about, but manifest. Amen. Jesus being manifested now, Jesus healing now, Jesus saving now, Jesus feeling now. And because you, you say these things and people get nervous, like they think you want to do away with, with, with the prophet and the mess. Listen, Moses was never to be done away with. But they would point back to the word on paper and reject the word made manifest. We can't just point to the word on paper and reject it when it comes into our midst. Amen. Because, because not only are we going to see it manifested, we are to be the manifestation of that. Amen. He was everything in the scripture. He was everything that, it, that the scripture said he would be, and they hated him for it. All he did was heal them. All he did was deliver them. He was a man approved by God. And here he hangs on a cross, the rejected king. A crown of thorns crushed down into his skull, stripped, beaten, mocked. And it's just hard to even get through it when you think about it on this Memorial Day. When you allow yourself for a moment to visualize it, the king of kings there in flesh bleeding and suffering and dying because of things I did, because of needs I had. And he's hanging there, the one who created the rivers, the one who created the oceans, the one who made all the water, the one who turned water into wine. That very one hangs on a cross and he screams out, I thirst. He screams out, I'm so thirsty. He says, I thirst. Brother Branham says, could you imagine 
A man standing on Calvary, hanging there between heaven and earth, crying, I thirst. I thirst. And turned even water into wine. The very creator of the water, standing there screaming for water. Screaming for water, I thirst. It's heartbreaking to me. So thirsty. They're on the verge of death, giving his life. I thirst. All he wants is a drink. Somebody, anybody, my disciples, a friend. Evening like tabernacle, I'm thirsty. And he hangs there thirsty. And vinegar is shoved in his face on a sponge. This is what you'll get. This is how much I'll give you. You can have a drink on Sundays. I'm so thirsty. You'll take this or you'll get nothing. Vinegar on a sponge. Take it or leave it. And he takes it because of his great thirst. And in that moment, the beautiful thing is, as thirsty as he was, what was he doing but providing water? In the moment of his great thirst, he's life-giving waters flowing out of him, eternal life. He's the smitten rock. Gushers of life are pouring out of him that you can drink freely. And he's crying, I thirst. And he's so thirsty in the whole time, life-giving waters just flowing out of him. Giving water, and yet he says, I thirst. We see the death and the burial and the resurrection and then the ascension and we know that he returns on the day of Pentecost and, and licks of fire separate themselves and come down onto 120 different ones. And, and we know how they acted. You've read it in the scripture. You've, you've been taught it. You, you, we, we know what happened. They acted in a way that people would assume that they were drunk. Brother Branham actually says in more than one place that they acted idiotic. He says right here, he says, you'll have to come that route. Because that's the only route God ever laid down and ever has. And you'll walk it or you won't be there. He says, I'm not your judge, but I'm preaching the gospel. That's exactly the truth. The blessed virgin was right there, acted just as idiotic as the rest of them did, just as drunk as the rest of them. And we recognize and we believe and we know that the, the, the Holy Ghost will make you act in ways that you didn't expect. Sure, we see that and, and, and it'll make you do things you didn't expect. It might make you run. It might make you shout. It might make you dance. It may make you speak in tongues and all of that. But, and today our biggest goal in all this is to bring a balance. It may seem like a tennis match sometimes because we're doing this right here. But in the end, it's because we want to see it from every side. It may make you do all those things. But listen to me, Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. 
Now, we would be reading an entirely different story right here if the idiotic acting, I'm just using the prophet's word there, would have started at this point right here. What if at this point right here they'd have jumped up and ran and shouted and screamed and acted drunk? I say it would have been justified. Would it not? Right now, if literally the rushing mighty wind flowed through this place, would we all sit here just like this? What if all of a sudden all of us witnessed the pillar of fire and it broke into cloven tongues and it came and rested on your shoulder? Would you be like, check it out? But this is the house of God, so... No, you would be completely justified in a yell, a scream, a run, a shout, and a dance. And no one could ever question whether or not it was the Holy Spirit. It sure was. But notice what happens the next verse. Here's the key. Acts 2 and 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the point where the breakout happens. This is the point where the drunk happens. They didn't run before they were filled. They didn't shout before they were filled. This is the goal. This is the token. This is the life. This is what we're going for. Listen, no one would have been, no one could have got upset with them if they'd have run and jumped and shouted when the wind came in. I would have. I will. If they'd have run and jumped and shouted when the pillar of fire came, I will. I definitely will. But the key in the scripture isn't the run. It isn't the jump. It isn't the drunkness. It's the fact that every one of them walked out of their change with a token life. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. With the power to overcome anything that they faced. That's the goal. That's what we want you to get. That's what we're striving for. Listen, the pillar of fire had appeared before. Men had been anointed before for mighty works. Men and women had worshipped before and danced before the Lord before. Shouting and praising and dancing had happened before. And it was all of God. But never before had the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ been able to come and indwell on the inside of man. That's what we're striving for. That is what we need. That is the token. That is our ticket. And I want to be very clear. We don't run to get it. We don't shout to get it. We do not dance to get it. Let's take it a step further. You don't have it because you ran. You don't have it because you danced. You don't have it because you shouted. You don't have it because you spoke in tongues. You have got to be born again. You've got to die out to self. What's the biggest thing that needs to happen, Brother Aaron, before I can get the Holy Ghost? You have got to die out to self. Die out to your will. Die out to your thinking. Die out to what you want. And say, Lord, I am now an empty vessel. Come and fill this empty vessel. Change who I am. Change my failures. Change my thoughts. Change the cycles of past failures. Change my family dynamics. Change everything. I don't want this anymore. Lord, change me. Mold me. I want to be born again. You have to have that. You must be born again. 
So you're saying we shouldn't do those things, Brother Aaron? I think you know me better than that. I think you know me better than that. I'm all for it. We'll find those things all through the word today. But they are not your resting place. They're not your resting place. They're not your tie posts. They're not the ultimate goal. But, here goes the tennis match. But we must have them. But they are needed. They are called for in the word. They are a part of worship. Amen. Amen. That early church was filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were free. They were a free church. And because of that, the water of life flowed freely. It was a gusher of living water. The fountain was open. There was no hindrances. There was zeal. There was pure word. And there was pure worship. Signs and wonders were manifested. There was gifts in operation. You could come to the well at any time and get a drink of pure water, clean water, water that had not been polluted. It was free from the control of man and man's thirst was being quenched. Salvation was free. The thirst quencher was available to all a fountain of living water springing up clean and fresh. But then through men, Satan begins to work. And he begins to pollute the well. Men crept in unawares. And the well begins to be polluted. Brother Branham says, The high aspirations of this age that had begun with the fullness of the Spirit, the depth of God, whereby they were aiming at the high calling of God, began to give way to a less watchful attitude things began to slip in things began to cool off church services began to lose their zeal a little bit you go just one more and he says that did it it brought death and destruction says and in Ephesus it was just the same just a word added just a word taken away and the anti-word anti-Christ spirit Began to flourish. Now what I want you to notice is. As the flow of pure water. Began to become polluted. From God to his people. It also began to become polluted. From the people to God. The worship that was given began to change. It wasn't the same word anymore. And it wasn't the same worship anymore. Suddenly it had become polluted. The, 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 the flow of unadulterated and free-flowing worship from the people to God begins to get clogged up. Just like the free-flowing uh, water of life from God to his people. And Brother Branham says, that is what happened back there to the Ephesians. They were getting a bit formal. Notice that. They got so cold and starchy and they didn't shout. No, 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 no. They got a bit. I'm not sure how that translates in your mind, but normally a bit is just like a speck, a small little bit. They let a touch of formalness creep in. Just a touch. They got a bit formal. And the pollution began to rob people of their worship. It it taught that the spirit only moved on the priesthood or in the ministry. But that's not what Paul taught. 
That's not what the Bible taught. Brother Branham tells us, he says, by one spirit are they all baptized into one body and everyone, that means everybody in here, everyone is to be moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Wait, me? If you fit in everyone, is to be moved upon by the Holy Ghost, everyone is to participate. But I remember back in elementary school, they used to give participation grades. It is a good thing that we don't do that in church. Everyone is, it doesn't say everyone is to be present. Everyone is to participate. Listen, when you get to heaven, there will be no perfect attendance awards. If you come to church every service and do not participate, you are failing the class. Everyone is to participate in the worship of God. That's how worship works. Everyone moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Everyone available to be used by the Holy Ghost. Everyone participating. But through the pollution, Brother Branham says, they got the people to obey them until the time came that their way of worship did not in any way at all resemble the early days after Pentecost. Now I want you to notice we always saying back to the faith, back to the word, Back to, but Brother Brown's pointing back and saying, what else should be back? The worship should be resembled the way it was after Pentecost. He's pointing to the worship, saying the worship had changed. They weren't worshiping the way they once did. They weren't free in the spirit. They were worried if this is in order and that's in order. And what about this? And what if this person says something? What if they don't like it? I promise you. When that lick of fire comes and sits on your shoulder and goes down on the inside of you, you could care less what your neighbor thinks about what you're fixing to do. When I get set free, when my life gets changed, however it manifests itself, I don't care what you think. I care what he thinks. And he said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Won't you give me a drink? And that's the only one I care about in this moment. It's his desires. What he wants. He says, they set the word aside, deny the work of the spirit of God, subjugate the laity, that's you, and make it impossible for the laity to worship God unless they come through them or through their pattern, which is nothing but a blueprint of unbelief from Satan himself. Now notice, I don't care which side of the pendulum you're on, whether you like cold and formal or whether you like run jumpy shouty, whatever you want to call it. If I try to make you worship in my pattern, it is a blueprint of unbelief from Satan himself. You do not have to worship according to the pattern of Aaron Oglesby. You do not have to worship according to the pattern of Evening Light Tabernacle. But there is a pattern of worship that you must conform to. 
You worship the way the word says to worship. How the word says to worship. That is your pattern. That is how it should be. So they try to control worship and put it in a box. And they do it in subtle ways to where they will diminish the importance of the freedom of worship. Or diminish the importance of the moving of the spirit and make it so secondary. That's not that big a deal. This is what's important. Or they bring a guilt upon the worshiper by labeling it just emotions. Or that's just emotionalism. Or they make it seem that it's immaturity and that once all the green is out of them, then you will conduct yourself as a mature Christian. Interpreted a dead Christian. I think some people's idea of maturity is being laid in a box. Which is nothing but a blueprint of unbelief from Satan himself. I found it so interesting how Brother Branham all through the first church age ties the falling away and the dying of the zeal to the restriction of the worship. He ties it together over and over and over. It's not just that they, they strayed away from the word, but their worship changed. The zeal changed. The passion changed. The way they would enter in changed. They got a bit formal. And he ties this over and over. And by the end of the first age, the water isn't flowing as freely from God to the people or from people to God. The Philistines began to clog the wells of the fathers. Genesis 26, 15. It says, For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. What does this look like? Well, the experience of the new birth began to be substituted for just believe. There's some pollution in the well. Well, you don't need this and, and, and you can take all the gifts now and put them on the shelf. There's some pollution in the well. It began to become substitute. Just believe. Just accept God sent a prophet. Just believe the word and you got it. And suddenly, the water is not flowing as pure. The water is not flowing as free. It's not gushing forth like it used to. And as each age progressed, the flow of water Eventually got down and you understand the church ages to where it was just a trickle. To where the light had almost gone completely out. and There was very little of what we would call the original truth left at all. And there was very little worship in spirit and in truth left at all. Worship had gotten to the place of come and light a candle or say a Hail Mary or whatever. It had got down to where there was hardly any water left flowing and and spiritual man was dying of thirst. Humanity was in an awful place. They weren't receiving. They weren't able to give. Things had been stripped away. It was a dark time. But God had already said, I will restore. He said, I will restore, saith the Lord. And there were men that were anointed to restore. Men that were anointed to begin digging the wells of truth once again. And, and Luther comes and he begins to dig out the well. And justification begins to flow again. 
And then Wesley comes and he begins to dig out the well and he digs out these boulders and he digs out these things and these pollutions and suddenly sanctification is able to flow again. And then you have the Azusa movement that come and there's things taken away and formalism taken out the way and suddenly the gifts began to flow again and manifestations of the spirit began to flow again and, and now there's water that begins to move. Restoration begins to happen and yet it still wasn't the original. It still wasn't the original. It, it, it had original parts. It had original pieces. And it had a bunch of loose ends. It, it wasn't yet the faith restored. It was faith. But it wasn't the faith restored. But a full restoration was coming. There was one coming. Man, man had probed and, and man had thirsted and man had dug down through the ages. What, what was the thirst of the ages? What was it that they were thirsty for once again? What was it that they had there in the first age at the beginning? It wasn't a piece. It wasn't a part. The thirst was for the fullness of Christ once again. The, 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 the ability to have the full well flowing, all the water flowing, not just a little sip, not just this, but a gusher, the fullness of Christ once again in the church. Access to him once again. Access to his word once again. Access to the spirit once again. The thirst of the ages was to drink once again from the cool, crisp waters of truth. Pure truth. And waters were flowing again, but there were still things hindering. There were still things that, that were there, still claims against the church. Oh, that looks like good water, but, but there's still false baptisms in it. Oh, that looks like that's, that's, that's good water. It's flowing again, but, but the Godhead's all messed up. They, they, they got things all, all twisted. There's false teachings and the waters were still polluted with denominational Roman ideas. But God, don't, God we already said, does all things well. He wasn't going to stop here and say, well, there's good water. You can drink. But no, he had promised a full restoration. He says, I will send Elijah to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. No, I love this because I was studying the wells last time and I was here and, and, I'd come, and I read that scripture in Malachi 4, turning the hearts of the children to their fathers. And, and I go back and see what Isaac did over in Genesis 26, 18, when the Philistines had stopped up the wells of his father. And it says, and Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Church, it wasn't a new water. It wasn't a different water. He didn't dig a new well. He went back to the well his fathers drank out of. It was the same fresh water, the same fresh word, and he called it the exact same thing. It was the new birth. It was the Holy Ghost. It was gifts. It was manifestations. It wasn't a new well. Jacob, he went back. Isaac dug the same well that his fathers have dug. What are we going back to? The same wells of our fathers. The same water our fathers had. It's not something new. It's not polluted. The Philistines filled it up. They polluted it. But today, I'm drinking from the same well with the same name under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same fresh, pure water that our fathers had. They dug the same wells that the fathers had. Oh, that's the water I want today. That's what I want. That's the word I want. 
That's the experience I want. I want pure water like our Pentecostal fathers drank. That's what happened in this day. A prophet came and he unblocked all the wells that had been stopped up. It's not new water. It's not new word. It's the same water brought back to the same well, restored back, free flowing again, restored. Because he said, I will restore, saith the Lord. And yet it was in this age that we live in during this great restoration that the prophet of God would preach the indictment. And he tells us that our Lord is crucified again. Not only has the world completely turned their backs on him, but the very ones that claim to be his church have him on the outside. You know, the last ones to reject him is always the last place that he moved. What was the last great movement? It wasn't Pentecost. It was the message of the hour. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I went over this with the young people. The elect will not be deceived. We have that promise. But we have to be careful that and we don't pick and choose things and, and take certain things that he wants to drink from and make him drink it somewhere else. Don't ever let him be found on the outside of our church, on the outside of our heart looking for a drink. Don't let us be ones that have him on the outside knocking. But he's on the outside, unwanted, crowned again by scoffers. Mocking and making fun of the moving of the spirit. Mocking and making fun of holiness. Making fun of a life set apart. Of the Nazarite life. The Nazarite vow. They make fun and they mock. He's pierced again from the pulpit. Revealed but rejected. He's manifested but maligned. Once again what is he? He's once again the rejected king. And once again in his crucifixion. What was it? At the original crucifixion. What did I say? He said I'm thirsty. But what was he doing? He was bringing you water. And once again in this day. At his crucifixion. What was he doing? Restoring the flow of water. Crucified again. But once again bringing you fresh water. Once again making it pure for you. Once again making it available for you. And once again he cries out. I thirst. I can't find a drink anywhere. I go, I look. I'm looking for pure water. I'm thirsty in this last day. I'm thirsty in Laodicea. And once again, he's given vinegar. Once again, given polluted worship. Cold, formal, denominational worship. Notice in the Bible, what did Elijah do? Well, he did lots of things. What do you mean, Brother Aaron? But one of the things Elijah did was he rebuilt the altar. There was a restored worship under the ministry of Elijah. We don't have to be afraid of is this right, is that right. If it's in the word, it's been restored. It, you have a right to worship. You have a right to freedom. Elijah not only brought the word back and dug out the well, but he took stones and he once again rebuilt the altar so that you can worship the way our fathers worshiped. You can worship in freedom. And he's thirsty for restored worship. You get to drink original water. You get to drink restored word. You get to drink from that cool crisp well. You're not out there fumbling through 
this teaching and that teaching and is this right and this false doctrine and that don't taste right and you're having to spit it out and oh, I feel so blue. No, you get to drink pure water. Why shouldn't he get to drink pure worship? pure water a restored word calls for a restored worship a pure word calls for pure worship he's looking for worship today from hearts that have been turned back to the father from hearts that are turned back to the original faith not polluted but clean vessels with pure water and he's saying i'm thirsty i want to drink from that well you get the original experience i say he deserves original praise He wants worship that comes from restored hearts. Worship that is free, not hindered by what you think. Your own thoughts are a pollution of the worship. Not what you think. Not hindered by how others, well, they acted this way and they backslid, so I don't want to do that. Well, how about you act that way and don't backslide? Others cheapen the experience, how about you bring it back? You know, I like one time where Brother Danny stood here preaching and he talked about this outbreak of the Holy Ghost that took place in their church. He said, man, it, it got wild. He said, kids was running all over the place. He said, they ran out in the parking lot. He said, we found one of them up in a tree. Here we go, the balance of it, ready? He said, that kid that was so drunk on the Holy Ghost, we found him up in the tree. He said, he don't believe there's a God anymore. He said, another one got arrested. He's in jail. He said, but why would I focus on that? And he starts having people stand. It was right here. He says, you stand up. That's a deacon in my church filled with the Holy Ghost that day. Here's a minister in my church that was filled with the Holy Ghost that day. Here's this one that, that day. How, why do we always focus on this? Why do we focus? Hey, listen. I know when Moses came off the mountain and they were worshiping idols, you know what they were doing? They were dancing. Well, that means dancing's wrong. Nope. It doesn't mean it's wrong because when the word came back, David got in front of the word and he danced with all his might. It's not the dance. What are you dancing to? What are you worshiping? What's moving on your heart? Quit pointing to the negative. Quit pointing to the scarecrow. Quit pointing to the bogus. There is a real. There is a genuine. There is something that moves on the heart, bubbles up in the soul, and you can't contain it. You can't stay in your seat. It pulls you into the aisle. It draws you around the building, and it's real. It's real. It's real. Yes, there are false anointed ones. But the anointing isn't false. It's real. And it's true. We're not to be dictated by what some may think. Not afraid to be labeled emotional or Pentecostal as if that's a bad word. He wants a drink not tainted with the ideas of man. Just pure, holy, unadulterated, free, Worship. Just exactly like what he's given to you. He wants that in return. You see, this can't be a one-sided relationship. It isn't what can God do for me? What can God do for me? Well, what's God going to do for me in this service? That's pretty selfish. That would be a horrible relationship to be a part of. It's not a one-sided relationship. Well, it's all about the word, Brother Aaron. 
It's all about the word and it's getting the token and it's receiving his life. I think you know I agree with that. But that's all things he does for you. The word is for you. The worship is for him. Those are all things he does for you. Why do you come to church? Well, it's so that I can be strengthened and that I can have. Okay. okay. I'm not going to argue with you. But here's what Brother Branham says we come to church. He says it's so easy to forget it. We do not come to church to be seen. We do not come to, to hear good singing. I enjoy the singing. That's not why we're here. Or a good sermon. Or an average sermon. We don't come for any of those things. We come to church to worship. To worship God. He says again, I like to worship. Don't you? Now, we don't come to church just to hear a sermon. That goes with it, he says. But we come to church to worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. Now listen to this part. I don't think we have it. You've heard the truth. That's the word. Oh, that's what I'm here for. Okay. See, now to worship is to express yourself to him. This isn't a one-sided relationship. Yes, you better be here to receive the word. And he pours it out. It's pure. It's unadulterated. It's the word. It's the word. It's the word. Now let's go home. And he's left here going. I mean, I, I did what I promised I would do. I showed up and held up my end of the bargain. What happened to my worship? What happened to praise? What happened to them not caring? I didn't care when I walked that cross up the hill. Well, I don't want to look foolish. He didn't care when they stripped his clothes off. He kept going. Hung there on a cross naked. What if he said, I can't do that. I mean, I love y'all, but I look foolish. We have a part to uphold. We have a part to play. God desires and God deserves to be worshipped. The word commands us to worship. And it even gives us examples or let's go a little stronger. Commandments of how to worship. Now, if you don't like these commandments, I understand that. Don't be mad at me. Just chunk your Bible. Because that's where these came from. Psalms 150 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Everybody agrees with that one. Yeah. Woo. I'll praise him. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery in the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Wait, what? Now, did it say right there, you can if you want to? No, this isn't a question. He tells you to. He tells you to. Praise him. With the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Now one thing I want to point out. Is every single one of us going to play the organ? That would be, a, that would be out of order. 
Is every one of us going to play a stringed instrument or a trumpet? No. Then I'll also go ahead and tell you not every one of us is going to dance. The point is, though, he's calling for it, and someone will give him that drink. Someone is going to give him that drink. Someone is going to praise him on the organ. Someone is going to do these things. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That is a commandment. He's asking for it. He's telling you to because he is a, an object of worship. He desires to be worshipped. He wants praise. But even more importantly, he wants you to want to praise him. He had the angels to praise him. He got plenty of praise. He said, I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to praise me that wants to. They lay aside. They don't care about this, but their eyes on me. They love me. They worship me. They praise me. How do they do it? However I call them to do it. However I move on their heart to do it. However the spirit moves in the church. They love me so much that they praise me. It's very important to him. And Satan recognizes the importance, and that's why he tries to hinder it. He tries to marginalize it, impersonate it, cheapen it, question it, because he loves to see Jesus thirsty. He loves to see him neglected. He loves to see him suffering. At first age, left their first love. And they began to fall away, and, and they began to drift. I've got good news for you. This Eve, this age, this church is predestinated not to fall. She's not going to leave her first love. What's that tell you? That whoever she is, I'm not going to put you in or out. But if I had to choose today, I believe you're in. But whoever she is is not going to lose that zeal. She's not going to lose that passion for the house of God. She's not going to lose that passion to worship. She's not going to lose that passion to enter in. Her zeal and her fire and her worship are going to be there because she's not going to fall away. It's an eternal love affair. This love affair is not for an age. Oh, hallelujah. This love affair isn't for a decade. This is an eternal love affair. Ours is going to carry on. It's been the cycle of revival, death, revival, death, revival, death. This is revival and rapture and eternity. And our love affair is going to go on and on and on. I'm going to carry this worship right into the heavenlies, right into the eternals. And I'm going to continue worshiping. I'm going to continue shouting. I'm going to continue dancing. I'm going to continue praising. It's an eternal love affair. And he comes today and he's looking for a drink of fresh Pentecostal water from his bride. He says, I can't get it anywhere else. It's polluted. It's polluted. Can I find a drink here? Can I get a drink of water here? I pray there'll never be a service that he shows up here and leaves thirsty. That he shows up here and that Pentecostal water isn't just flowing forth. Not just from him to us. We long for that. But he wants it flowing from us to him. He wants it flowing back. After all he's done, hasn't he earned it? Doesn't he deserve it? How dare us leave him thirsty? How dare us leave him there begging? How dare us offer him vinegar? Well, Lord, this is all you'll get out of me today. 
I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. Amen. He's leaving thirsty. That's the thing, church. It's not about you. It's not about how comfortable you are. It's not about what song you like. It's about him. It's about giving him a drink. It's about giving it to him. What was the vinegar that they gave him? A lot of times we literally think it's just vinegar. But if you get into it, what it is, it was called Pasca. It was a Roman drink made from mixing wine, vinegar, and water. And it was the drink of poor people. And it was what they gave to slaves to keep them alive. He doesn't want a Roman drink when he comes here. He's not looking for for a Roman drink. He doesn't want your worship that's polluted with the ideas of denominations. Your praise with the bitter aftertaste of of Rome's influence. When you worship that way, he gets this bitter aftertaste of Pascha. That half-hearted praise of vinegar reminds him of the crucifixion. Oh, no. No, not that. Surely my bride didn't give me that today. Surely that's not what they offered me. Oh. Tastes like Rome. Tastes contaminated. Somebody please, just water. Just fresh water. Pure water. The king wants a drink. He may be a rejected king to the world. He may be put out by the world. But there is a people that recognize that he's going to be crowned Lord of all. He's going to be the king of kings. And and we may have to bear a reproach for a while. We may have to fight battles for a while. We may be put out as it were for a while. Struggling for a while. That's exactly the place that the men found themselves with King David. He lived in caves. Though he was the anointed king. He was a fugitive. But he was the anointed king. He was in no position to reward those that stood for him. But they knew that recompense was coming. Oh, come on, church. You may not see it all right here. You may not see it all. But I promise you, stand by the king. Live or die, stand with the king. He may be put out right now. They may not recognize him as king, but he's coming king. And I promise you, recompense is coming. You will be paid back time upon time upon time upon time. I can stay here the rest of the service saying time upon time. Because he will not be indebted to no one. You stand for him now. You fight for him now. You give him water now. You fight through the Philistines now. Recompense is coming. And they stood by their man. 2 Samuel 23, 14 tells us. And David was then in an hold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed. He longed. And said, oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines. And drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it. And brought it to David. Did you hear that? I think I heard him say that he wants a drink. From where? Bethlehem. And the majority of the people said. That's not really necessary. We have good enough water here. 
There's, there's a pitcher of water right there. Here, here, Lord. Here, here, I'll give you some fresh water. That's not what his heart was for. Most of them said, no, I, I can praise him right here. This is fine. I'll, I'll give him some water. But that water? That water is going to cost me my dignity. That water is going to cost me some embarrassment. I mean, have you ever seen me dance? I don't know if I should do that. But there was three in the congregation. There was three there that said he didn't even command it. It was just the desire in his heart. And to them, because he was their king, his desire was just as much as a command. And they said, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. And they drew their sword and for 25 miles they fought formalism. And for 25 miles they, they fought through what other people thought. And for 25 miles they fought through, that's just emotionalism. And they fought through this and they fought through that and they fought through Philistines. And they came back with a fresh drink of water. Hey listen, he can pour it out for all I care. That's his prerogative. But if he wants water, if he desires water, if he desires praise, I'm going to bring it to him. He can do what he wants with it. He can do what he wants with it. But I'm going to give him his heart's desire when it cries out, I want water from the well at Pentecost. I'll fight my way back to it. I'll fight through every stigma and everything. Oh, Pentecost, I'll fight you for it. If that's the well that he wants water from, I'm bringing it today. The original well where water flowed for the first time. I'll fight back to that well for him. There's got to be mighty men. That'll provide the drink that the king desires. I'm going to fight through. Hey, it ain't always other people's opinions. You got to fight through how you feel. You got to fight through circumstance. You got to fight through how bad things were at home this week. You got to fight through attitudes from your children. I mean, not my house. I'm sorry. Yeah, my house. Hey, here's one we don't talk about. Young people got to fight through the attitudes of their parents. Can you imagine being a young person living in a home and actually having to attend a church that your parents badmouth? You go ahead. Go ahead. Parents sitting around talking about a prophet. Brother Brown says because what the parents said that the children died. Be careful. These kids got enough to fight through. They got all hell against them. You think of every positive thing you can think of to say to them. Every day, all day. It's tough enough. There's got to be mighty men that will fight through how they feel. Fight through the trials of life. Just fight through. He was thirsty for a drink from the well at Bethlehem. Brother Brown says, he cried out, if only I had a drink from that well again. Brother Brown says, I'm going to close now. Listen close. If I only had a drink, inside of him cried out. If I could only drink once more from that well at Bethlehem. His desires was a commandment to those who loved him. Remember, his soul was crying for a drink of that water. And those who loved him, his least desire was a command. 
He goes on to say, oh, brother, I wonder if the warriors today are willing to cut their way through formalism, doubts, and unbelief to refresh in the presence of the Lord. Refresh what? His desires. We want to stop there. I'm here to refresh in the presence of the Lord. No, 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 no. That's not why we're here. We're here to refresh his desires in the presence of the Lord. And he cries out, oh, is there somebody left in the land that can give me a drink from the well of Pentecost? Is there somebody left in the land? Listen, there ought to be men and women today ready to draw their sword and say, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if everybody lets him leave thirsty. He'll have a, he'll have a cup from me. He'll have a pail of water from me. He'll have a gusher of water from me. I'm going to give him that drink. I'm going to pull my sword. I may not feel like it. I may have been down. Life might have been hard. Everything may be against me, but that's okay. That does not relieve me of the fact that my king's desire is for a fresh drink, for praise. Listen, you know, he watches, and he watches our struggles, and he watches our failures, and he sees how hard it is, and he don't fail to show up. Well, I'm not going to show up this week. He failed again. I'm not showing up this week. They denied me again. Oh, it ain't how he is. He said, you go tell my disciples and Peter, I'm showing up. I'm coming back for you if you fall. I'm coming back for you when you fail day after day. Then I say, I'm coming to give you water. I'm going to water the Lord. I'm going to water him. Oh, what was it? What Brother Branham say? He said, when Rebecca watered the camels, she was watering the very power that was going to take her to meet Isaac. And the Holy Ghost is moving through this building today. The very power that's going to change your body and take you to meet Isaac. And I say, water it, water it. I don't want to get halfway there. I want to get all the way back. I want to get all the way back. Take some water, Lord. Take some water, Lord. Whatever you call me to, Lord, drink. Just drink. give him vinegar what is vinegar brother Aaron well vinegar would be in this situation when he desires this but you give him this it's vinegar doesn't taste right wasn't his desire wasn't what he wanted can't give him stagnant water from a stagnant life Let's don't lose touch of this because we're trying to stay balanced. He wants clean water out of clean vessels. Pure vessels. You mean if I had any mistakes this week or I've struggled and I felt, no, that's not what I mean. But out of a heart fighting for him, striving for him, longing for him, he'll take that drink. He wants that drink. What would you have done if you had the opportunity to stand there that day as he hung dying? Had the opportunity to give him a fresh, clean drink. You would have been mocked, possibly beaten. But you had that opportunity and you stood there and I'm so thirsty. I thirst. 
what would our attitude have been? Well, uh, I love you, Jesus. Um, I appreciate the sacrifice that you're giving. Uh, but, you know, right now, just considering the way everybody else around here is acting, and water's at the bottom of the hill. It would be much more convenient to give you this vinegar. Be much more convenient. I, I know, I know, I, I know you're pulling on me to praise you more. I know you're pulling on me to take another. St- I, I know, but it's much more convenient just to stay right where I'm at. It's more convenient. It's just, it's just easier, you know, not to enter into the service. It's easier to kind of check out, Lord. You know what I mean? It's kind of easier to think about what yesterday was and what's got going. You know, and it's just easier to think. For me, Lord, it's just easier if I imagine that the worship aspect isn't as important as the rest of it. So that's just what's easier for me right now in this situation. I mean, I know you understand and all. And um, it's easier to really to, to be an, an observer when the Holy Spirit breaks out and people act certain ways. And it's just easier for me to say, Lord, you know, that's not how I worship. So I'm just, I'm just not going to. Is that, but here, here's some vinegar. He comes looking for a drink because he's been crucified again. Can't find pure worship coming from pure vessels out there, so he comes here. He comes looking. He says, "Even like Tabernacle, I thirst. I've been crucified again. The world's turned their back on me. The churches have turned their back on me. I'm thirsty." David remembered the well at Bethlehem. Jesus remembers the well at Pentecost. He remembers of the the taste of the water that was free. It was pure. Flowed from pure hearts, unhindered. Gushers of praise. Oh, how it would just bubble up out of them. They didn't have to work it up. It just came up out of them. Ever flowing. A gusher that couldn't be contained. And he says, oh, could somebody give me a drink from that well today? Back to the tennis match. We are not saved because we worship. You are not saved because you worship in spirit And in truth. However. He is seeking such to worship him. The scripture tells us. During the encounter with the woman at the well. John 4 and 23. He says. But the hour cometh and now is. When true worshipers shall worship the father. In spirit. And in truth. For the father. Seeketh. Such. To worship him. This isn't just some afterthought to him. He's seeking. He's looking. For people that will worship me. In spirit. And truth. This worship is necessary. This isn't secondary. This isn't well that's not that important. It is necessary. It is desired. And you are called to give it. And I tell you what I don't care where you are today. Don't take things and run too far with it over to one side. You have a right to give him that worship. You have a right to do it. The word gives you that right. Look, I condemn that devil that will come over you and start pointing to your past, pointing to your failures, pointing to things, well, I'm not good enough, and use that to try to hinder your worship to Almighty God. Just go ahead and flick him off your shoulder today. Get him out of your mind. And remember, the word gives you the right to worship. The word tells you, commands you to worship. So, yeah, I've had a failure. I've had a flaw. Some things happened. Maybe because you've had failures just recently, you feel like I can't worship. Maybe you feel like because of my past, it'll be hypocritical if I worship. Sure, listen. He desires clean worship from clean vessels. 
Sure, uh, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. We understand those things. He would rather a clean, obedient life than a sacrifice of worship from someone who refuses to obey. But the devil will take that and go to the extreme where you feel condemnation because of your struggles and mistakes and failures. And then use that to hinder you from entering in and giving him what he desires. That's what it's all about. He uses it to keep you from entering in. Listen, when Jesus came, oh my, when Jesus came to the woman at the well, did he know her condition? Did he know her life? Oh, but he also knew he was talking to seed. He knew he was talking to seed. And what did he ask the woman at the well for? A harlot. He said, give me drink. Give me water. Oh, come on. You got a right to praise him. You got a right to give him a drink. He knew it was seed of God. She was struggling. She was failing. She hadn't accepted it yet, but she was seed. And he said, woman, give me a drink. Give me a drink. You all have a right to praise him and worship him. Your sins don't matter. Your failures don't matter. You want to know why? Because just a few verses later, she says, give me drink of that eternal water that I'll never thirst again. He knew. I told you it's a two-way street. I told you. He gave her water. And then what'd she do for him? She ran in the city. She rejoiced. She shouted. And that was the drink he was looking for. She got a drink of everlasting water and she gave him a drink of praise. Her run was her testimony. Her run was her testimony. I met a man. I met a man. I came in and I said, I know someone can free me. I know someone can save me. I know. And the word looked at you and said, I am he. I am he. And she couldn't contain herself. She runs into the city. What does your run say? I met a man and he told me I could be free. her water pot just in case he really did need some water thank you Jesus brother Tim took my time True balance is difficult to maintain. And I can say that based off the fact of how hard it is to see people stay balanced. But let's look inward. We all struggle. Because we'll read a quote and be like, ugh. And then all of a sudden you start finding a hundred quotes that line up with that. And you're like, ugh. But then you can find a hundred quotes Right here. And you go, oh, this is contradictory. No, it's not. That's the balance of the word. Trying to keep you from getting over one way. It's not so that I can take this side and you can take that side. It's so that we can take our quotes and meet in the middle and go, oh, this is what it means. 
quote wars are about the most pointless, useless thing that's ever happened amongst believers. And the devil's sitting back there going, I got them beating themselves up with the truth. They're literally condemning one another with what God sent to save them. Balance the word. Brother Brown says, look, stay where you are. Every man that's born of the spirit of God, when he's set in Christ, his eyes is on Calvary, right in the middle of the road. Now, I try to be very transparent. You can leave that up. I know how I lean. And if you don't admit you have a lean, you're lying. We all have leans. I lean emotional. I'm an emotional person. Kind of loud, can be boisterous, whatever. I lean that way. My nature takes me that way. So I find myself here. Now, you're one of the two. In this quote, you you can't say I'm neither one of those because this is what we're reading. So you're one of these two. If he's just a little bit emotional, the first thing you know, he'll work out over here to his side. And the first thing, he'll become a fanatic. Next thing says, if he don't watch. So I recognize that. I'm very careful to make sure I bring quotes in when I'm even studying for personal to look at both sides of it. Don't just read all the quotes that agree with exactly what you're saying. Now, if every quote you find agrees with what you're saying, you hit a home run. But there's always a balance. He goes on to say, and if he's just a little starchy, little, educated, he'll work over on this side and be so cold and stiff and starchy, take all the spirit out of him. This is one of the most profound statements in all the message to me. Yeah, it's on the next slide. He says, if the devil can't keep you from seeing the truth, he'll push you off the deep end with it. Think about that. How'd you end up here wallowing in the deep end, drowning? The truth. It's not really a a far-fetched idea when you recognize that every denomination ever denominated on the truth. They're snared by truth. If he can't see you from seeing the progression of life, he'll snare you right where you're at. The progression of the word, light going on, he'll snare you right where you're at. Can't see the balance of it, he'll snare you over here in a ditch. Worship and praise of any kind. Shouting, singing, dancing, rejoicing, none of it saves you. But he said do it. Let everything that have breath. Well, you know, it's easier, Brother Aaron, for that person because they had not been through what I've been through. They had not been through the battles I've been through. They don't have the scars I have. They don't have the hurts. They don't have the history here. And, and well, I'm poor and I'm abandoned, so it's very hard. That, well, uh, everything has gone wrong in my life. I'm just trying to make it through this day. You know, the Lord should just be happy that I showed up. Just the fact that I'm here is a miracle. That's all of us. Habakkuk 3.17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. You don't have your food. Neither shall fruit be on the vines. And the labor of the olive shall fail. 
and the field shall yield no meat. This person's in a pretty bad spot. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. They are about to die of hunger. Their way of making money, they have nothing. And the Lord doesn't say, I understand. That's a bad place. Look, if you'll just come to church, just show up. No, he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Don't, uh, this is hard to say because we're all guilty. Don't let temporary things affect eternal things. It's very difficult to swallow even for me because we all from time to time let that happen. We let our moods affect the church service. We let what we all do. But he's saying it don't matter how bad it's been. Your, your crop's dead. Your animal's dead. You got no way to make money. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. My current condition in no way determines what praise and worship he deserves. Amen. We are to be worshipers. But it's not to be our stopping place. I want you to run and shout and dance if the Lord moves you to do it. I never want you to manufacture it. Ever. But if the Lord moves you to do it, I want you to do it. But I don't want you to stop there. Don't stop there. It's not a stopping place. Progress. Cain and many others throughout the Bible, they worship God. And we don't want to be like them. We don't want to just be worshipers and yet we're called to worship. Is that right? So what does true blue Holy Spirit worship look like, Brother Aaron? Now we're really going to get into a tennis match now. Do we need to shout? Do we need to dance? Is it in the running? Well, yeah. Absolutely. Or should it be solemn and sweet, deep and soul-searching, quiet and reverent? Yeah. That's exactly what it should be. Should it be in the depths of sincerity, sane and sensible? Absolutely. Or should it be spontaneous and free? It better be. The answer is yes. D, all of the above. That's what worship is. And we're going to deal with this for a minute. What is acceptable? What is expected? How does God want to be worshipped? Because many times... The way we answer this question is based on personal preference. And we make our preference spiritual. What we feel most comfortable doing or how we like it. But the truth of the matter is that the spirit calls. Now listen, we're going to go slow for a minute. The spirit calls for different types of worship and expressions of worship at different times. Different atmospheres call for different types of worship. Atmospheres of conviction, atmospheres of repentance, atmospheres of deliverance, atmospheres of victory. These will all lead to different expressions of worship. Not because we choose it to be different, but because the spirit calls for different worship and we respond with what he desires, not vinegar. 
We step into the channel that the Holy Spirit is flowing in. And that channel for that moment, sometimes it's different channels throughout the service. You'll see moments of, of conviction and then moments of, but you shouldn't have, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Stay in the channel of worship. And many of us will have a preference of, of, of maybe like which one we like the most and which one we fully participate in due to what we like or what makes us comfortable. And so since, the, you know, I don't really like this song or I'm not, you know, this really in the atmosphere. I don't like how they're acting. So I'm just going to let them give him a drink. This isn't my favorite song. Look, I'll speak for y'all. There are songs we sing you don't like. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to speak for Mike. And he's. There are songs he sings that he don't really like. Because the Lord drops it on his heart for that moment. And it's what he wants. And Mike's going, why are we singing this song? Because he wanted it sung. And in those moments, I was telling some of the brothers in the back, like there's a, I'm not even going to tell you which one, because every time we sing it, y'all be like, yeah, Aaron ain't enjoying this song. <laughs> there's a certain song that I'm like, I don't even get it. <laughs> like somebody have to explain it to me. But you're not going to catch me not singing. Because it's my job to give him a drink. It's not my job to go, hey, y'all give him a drink. It's not based on what you like. He's saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Instead of just loving the presence that's being created and leaning into where the presence takes the worship, we pull back because we don't like the direction this is going. And so we begin to pull back. And so we'll intentionally give a solemn praise or a drink of our own choosing in the midst of an atmosphere of victory and rejoicing. And so we intentionally give him a different drink than what the Spirit's calling for. Listen, when you see the channel or you see the direction that the Lord is taking the service, it's important that we lay aside what we think and our ideas and we yield to it. Many times, I was telling this to some brothers the other day, we fail to see the burden that actually falls on a worship leader like Brother Michael, or Brother Timothy, Brother Derek, whoever gets up here. Because right song, right moment, good things happen. Wrong song, wrong moment. Hey, listen, we don't all bat a thousand. Since we're being, you know, transparent and such, there's many times you're up here as a minister and you get done and you realize I felt a tug to go this way and I missed it and I went down this road a little bit. And it's not that the Lord's displeased, but the service didn't have the impact it could have had had I went, didn't miss that little turn right there. Can we be real? And there's times where a worship leader sings a song and it's not intentional, but all of a sudden you just feel it go, it happens. It's a lot of pressure. But then sometimes that happens and they come back around. They don't give up. And they're looking for the channel. 
And they're looking for the channel. It ain't, well, let's just shut down and dismiss. That song didn't go good. Or man, he's been preaching an hour and pff, I don't know what channel we're in. Let's go home. But Tim told him not preach long. But you keep looking. Lord, help me find that channel. Help me find that channel. And then all of a sudden, he hits the right song in the right moment. Well, Brother Aaron, no, what that is, is that was the music working the people up. No, it's finding the channel of worship that the Spirit was calling for all along. That's why a service can go. What happened? We stepped into the channel that he was looking for all along. What he was calling for. I want that drink. I want that. There it is. And in that moment, because you hit that channel, then he's free to release himself the way he intended to all along. And now that it's flowing properly and freely in the channel and there's nothing in the way, what does he do? He starts pouring it right back down on top of you. And now once again, you got a two-way relationship going. He's being blessed. You're being blessed because you stepped into the channel. Whichever expression of worship that may be. Sweet atmosphere that just moves in over the people. That's one of the ones I'm talking about. Be all in. If that's the atmosphere that's created, be all in. Look, I, I know. I'm, some people, man, they're runners. That's what they want to do. I like it. Not literally, like I hate running. But I'm talking about in church. But they, they, want, they want it always. Run, run, jump. And so when it's real solemn and slow and maybe Brother Michael's on old rugged cross and you see him like. On a hill far away. The song was written like in the 40s. You see it. I was telling Brother James, I said, sitting up here is different. You know the songs people like. You know the songs they don't. You see the faces and they go, Whoo. but whether you're a young person or old person, whatever, if it's that sweet, solemn spirit and that's how the Lord's moving, be all in. Sing that song with all your heart. He's moving that way for a purpose. He's wanting that drink for a purpose. He's wanting to accomplish something in that service that the run, jump, shout might not accomplish. And he's moving in that way. Maybe a weeping and a soul searching. We've all experienced that. And sir, be all in. Enter into prayer, rejoicing, atmosphere of shouts. Be all in. Victory and dancing. Be all in. Now, let's bring this back around. Your all in may not look like my all in. I'm telling you to give all you can give. That may not look like, uh, Brother Joe says it all the time. You're not all going to act like I act. I don't got the energy to. There's times I want to. But you're not all going to act the way I act. But are you holding anything back? That's what I'm asking you. Are you all in to how the Lord is moving? Look, during the jump and shout, you're all in. You may, you know, I may run, jump, shout, and all over the building, you're all in. Maybe with your feet planted right where they are, rejoicing with all your heart. That may be you're all in. That's fine. Just be all in. In that solemn presence, when I, when I give my all, it may come out in weeping and crying. 
your all in may be silent inwardly, travail of heart, just entering in, consecrated. It may look different, but it's all in. And it matches what's being called for. And we're holding nothing back. Now, for those of you wondering, this is, this is scriptural. The Lord ha, has a way in each service that he wants to be worshipped according to what he's doing. Pull up Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8 and 5. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. It's a church service. All right, verse six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skip to verse eight. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the tish... Tishtha and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They're in the middle of the service and the people are moved by it and they're weeping. And they're worshiping and weeping. And Nehemiah says, No. That's not the atmosphere God is calling for in this moment. He says, weep not. How many of you know the joy of the Lord is our strength? That's literally where this comes from in the very next verse. He says, then he said unto him, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions unto them for, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be you sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites still all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy. Neither be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great myrrh party, basically. Because they had understood the words that were clear unto them. It was calling for joy. It was calling for rejoicing and eating and drinking and great frolic. And the minister has to correct them and say, that's not what he's calling for. He's not calling for the weeping today. He's calling for rejoicing. And it says they were made to understand. And so they go into great frolic and party. And that party may not be the right word. Forgive me. They go and they cook meals and they eat and they drink. It sounds kind of like a party. And he says, this is what the Lord wanted today. This is what he was looking for. Well, Brother Aaron, you're saying that's how we're supposed to act? Well... Choosing of a bride, 1965. Brother Branham says, these people naturally, Lord, would give me the last penny they had to support the message. They'd do anything that they could, but oh God, when it comes to coping with it and coming into it, I pray that this will be the night that you'll reward them and pour down your Holy Spirit upon this convention. And may there not be a frolic or a jumping around. Wasn't what he was calling for. But a weeping and a crying and a repenting, holding on to the horns of the altar while we see judgments rolling beneath us tonight. Granted, God, I pray as sincerely as I know how in the name of Jesus Christ. It's literally 100% opposite from the service we just saw in Nehemiah. Same Holy Spirit. Same God wanting a drink. But in this service, he was looking for a different atmosphere. A different kind of worship. 
And my, my goodness, can you imagine right in the middle of this? Somebody jumping up and woohoo and shouting and running around the building right in the middle of that. It's not the drink he was looking for. It's not what he was after right then. And then this goes, and it goes both ways. Like I've said, those who prefer it quiet and still tend to pull back when things get a little rowdy. And they become observers. Be very careful because when you become an observer, you become critical. You need to be so engrossed in giving a drink that you don't even notice what Bob over there is doing. So engrossed in you making sure he gets your drink that you're not worried about what they're doing. It's your opportunity to give a drink, not how are they giving a drink. Mm. Probably spilled all the water out of that cup. You see that? What about your cup? Don't become an observer. Brother Branham deals with it when he talks about sitting there observing the, 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 the ladies dancing in his church. And he talks about it and he says, I was in the seat of the scornful. Y'all know the story quite well. And he says the whole congregation was looking at him. He said, because I'd been teaching against it. And they were watching me to see what I was going to do. He says, and I'm watching. He says, next thing I know, I was out there with that girl. And he says, because I got the victory. And he says, dancing is victory. Amen. We got to give him a drink of what he desires. I'm going to tell you, we're going to go. I don't have time to go into all of it. Shouting uh, gifts. We don't have time for that. So we'll go. We'll look at dancing. God calls for dancing. That's a drink that he likes. That's water that he likes. He desires dancing. And if he desires it, somebody's going to give it to him. Notice the whole army didn't go to the well at Bethlehem, but three did. We've already said that. There was somebody within the army that was going to go get that drink for him. Amen. Three went there. Everybody ain't got to dance, but somebody's going to if he calls for it in the service. There's people called to worship him that way. And it may not be you. That's fine. But understand this. If someone's called to that and the spirit moves and draws on them to do so, it would be wrong for them not to. It would be denying him what he's wanting out of the service. It may not mean nothing to you, but to that person sitting there knowing he's pulling them and knowing he's drawing them and they're fighting it and staying in their seat. They're denying the Lord the drink that he's asking for. 149 and 1. Psalms 149 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the temple and the harp. We already read Psalms 150 and 4. Praise him with the temple and the dance. Jeremiah 31, 13. I'm going to pause here for a minute and let you catch me. Jeremiah 31, 13. Because this one right here is pretty good. Because we always like, you know, you know the young people. You know, the young people. They're, they're very enthusiastic. And they like to run around and, and dance. That's a young people thing. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. You are without excuse. Both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with the goodness of the Lord. Well, brother Aaron, here's my real concern. Here's my real concern is that 
I understand those things are real, but I'm just concerned that, you know, maybe only one or two of them were actually anointed by the Spirit. And, I, and I, I'm afraid some of them were just doing it because they did it. Oh, you mean like what happened at the Red Sea? Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> Exodus 15 and 20. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. Brother Brown talks about this. says they chased after her. They saw her doing it, and they said, if she can do it, so can I. Well, I'll be. They weren't anointed. Nope, but they had a good time, and they let them know, I got victory today. My taskmaster's dead. One person showed that they could have freedom of worship, and the rest of them said, we're free to worship. If she can do it, we can do it. If they, listen, David killed the law, but then they all ran in the valley. There's not a thing wrong with it. Follow after Miriam. Get your temple. Show the devil I've got victory. Quit worrying about people's scarecrows that they put up just because, A, they don't want to dance. Or they don't want you to. You may never dance, but don't despise the dancers. David's wife, was it Michael? Is that the right pronunciation? I always wonder about that. David's wife didn't despise the word. It doesn't say she looked down and saw the ark and she despised it and God cursed her. She despised David because he danced. And she was cursed. And why, how was she cursed? She never brought forth life. You find places that despise and reject and turn down those kind of things and there's never any births in the church because God has cursed it. Curses the womb. Let's look for just a second at some of the things the prophet had to say about dancing and we're closing. There's so much more we could go into, but he says, I seen that the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea Miriam looked back and seen all those taskmasters drown. She picked up the tambourine and began to dance and beat this tambourine and run down the shores dancing. And the daughters of Israel followed her dancing. And I thought, that's victory. Yeah. Now, what about, you know, Brother Aaron, that's dancing. You know, that's in the spirit. What about when people just get up and take off running? Just Just running. What, what about that? What about when the music gets playing and, and, you know, Brother Branham talks about the way that woman was playing the piano when that sister was dancing when they came over from Louisville. He said she was playing it so, so hard. He said if she had four decks of keys, she'd have played all of them. He said her eyes were closed, her head was back, and her face turned white. But we should play it gently and in order. Listen to what Brother Branham says about it. He says, I like this kind of singing. When I was back there praying for some people a few moments ago that had been brought in, and this is not being a prayer service, just, just to speak. I was in there and I could hear the songs, the clapping of their hands, and we wonder. He said, and some of them even, I seen them running up and down the floor, what they call dancing in the spirit. Oh, I bet he's fixing a blast. It. He's fixing a blast. It. Put it in his place. He says, at the first time, I was a critic of that. When I seen the Pentecostal people dancing in the spirit and I thought, what's this? It must be a bunch of nonsense. 
Then I got to reading the Bible and I found out that when dancing in the spirit, the devil copied it and put it out there with rock and roll and stuff. But the real genuine dance come from God. That's exactly and always a dance was victory. People so afraid to take something that already belongs to us. Dancing belongs to you. Praise belongs to you. Worship belongs to you. I say go back to the enemy's camp and say this never was yours. This is a copy. This is a mockery. But real dancing belongs in the house of almighty God. This is what it was made for. This is the place it was made for. Where was dancing made for, Brother Aaron? The sanctuary. The house of God. But sometimes, Brother Branham says, and there's going to be quick, short quotes. Now with our heads bowed, quietly, slowly, let's just sing this song. Now this is worship. These quotes are not contradictory. It's what the Spirit's calling for in the moment. The message is over. No one leave. Just be quiet. Let's worship. He says, just think of it, friends. Now, while sinners are being born again around the altar, let us Christians worship in the Spirit now, here's the thing. A lot of times people think when you say in the spirit, that means the run. No, that means yielding to the spirit. However, he's leading. That's what in the spirit means. Now, while the sinners are being born again around the altar, let us Christians worship in the spirit again while we raise our hands quietly and sing to him in the reverence of our hearts now. Come on. Let's just sing a little hymn now. This is worship. We had to cut just a little short, but this is worship. Now let's get real quiet and sing. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Just worship as you sing it. Oh, I just love this song. The spirit moving in a different way. Doing different things. Accomplishing what it was sent for to accomplish. And in that moment, it may be your least favorite song. But the spirit wants to accomplish something. Don't hinder. Don't be a pollution in the water. Don't let your attitude hinder what's going on. Well, I don't like this. It's not for you. It's for him. He's thirsty. And for some of you, some of you, those may be your favorite times. And we've already said many times there are different moments within the same service. You've seen it switch before, rejoicing and dancing, go straight into quiet and reverent. The key here is that you've got to be willing to bend with the Spirit. Brother Brown tells the story. Timothy, Brother Timothy uses it a lot where he's riding and he comes up on the burnover forest, big giant trees. And he says, as the wind blows through it, it sounded spooky. Ooh, emotionalism. Ooh, days of miracles has passed. Ooh, and he says, God's going to raise up people who believe in signs 
and wonders, going to raise up people who's got joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when the rushing mighty wind comes, it gives right into it and frolics and dances and glorifies God. Hallelujah. He says the older trees would, you know, they'd moan and groan, but the ones with life in them, green, the ones that still, listen, I love how people use the word green as if it's a bad thing. If you don't got some green in you, you're dead. Lord, may I always keep my greenness. Now, I understand. Instantly, people are going, yeah, but for the harvest. You, you know, I, okay. I understand. Let's stay on topic. The same exact wind that makes one frolic makes the other one say, well, here we go again. There she goes dancing again. You know, this is just a person, not that it matters. I don't, I don't believe we have to defend any of this. But, you know, I was talking with Brother Jackson and Sister Laura, and we were talking about how, you know, a lot of times they only came over here for years just for meetings. And so in that meeting atmosphere, a lot of times you would see things break out with rejoicing and shouting. And, and so you get the idea, like, Phew, this is how they do church all the time. Like every service. It's like the ELT track team. And I was talking to them and I asked them, they've been here a year. I said, how many times has that happened in this church since you've been here? Because sometimes I think we even get the idea that, ooh, we're getting a little bit, you know, we're a little bit, ooh, we're getting a little bit emotional. How many times has that happened here in the last year? Four. If you've got time to go stream all the services and fact check me, go ahead. But because it makes some of us uncomfortable, it seems like it's all the time. No. It's when he moves that way. It's when he takes the service that way. And we have to be willing to yield and bend. Brother Branham says to frolic. frolic. What does frolic mean, brother? And frolic means to move about cheerfully, excitedly, and energetically. He says, beneath all of that, blessed be the name of God, we still have the seed of God that's produced another church. Something has brought forth a church that believes that God is the living God. And when God sends that rushing Pentecostal wind down, they just sway and frolic in it. You say they're green, but they're having a good time. Ain't that right? They're green, but they're having a good time. He says, and they're growing. If they're green, they got life. If you're not a little bit green, why you don't have any life? He says, you wouldn't send that wind, I thought. What's the little trees blowing for? That wind hit them. And they just blew with the wind. Every way the wind twisted them backward, forward, around, upside down. <gasps> upside down. They didn't care. They just frolic with the wind. And that's the way a church that's born again. When the Holy Ghost hits them, they just cut all kinds of shines. Hallelujah. Surely the prophet didn't just say that they cut all kinds of shines. I know most of you weren't born in the 1950s, but that'd be no different than the sense that they cut a rug. They get down. That's what I Googled it. Because I, I don't know what that means. They get down. They get after it. The church of the living God, when the Holy Ghost moves, they cut all kind of shines. Wow. 
Interesting. What are you saying, Brother Aaron? Don't be afraid to be quiet. Don't be afraid to get loud. Don't be afraid to go where the Spirit takes you, not where you want to go. But whatever He is calling for, do it like David. With all your might. With all your might. Don't be afraid of it. Don't try to tone it down. If it's in a proper time and a proper atmosphere and place, let it go. Let it flow. Well, you don't have to you know, do that running and that twirling. Of course not. They didn't have to go get water for David. But it's what he desired. So they went after it and they got it. Well, you don't have to do that to have the Holy Ghost. What we got to do is quit confusing what he does for us with what we're supposed to do for him. Quit confusing the two. No, you don't have to do that to have the Holy Ghost. The musicians can come as, as we wind this down right now. We don't put our hopes in worship. We don't put our salvation there because it doesn't save us. But he calls for it and he longs for it. You say, we've got to focus on the word. Absolutely. My, that's a good place to end. Let's focus on the word. In the word, we find ourselves. In the word, we find who we are. In the word, we find overcoming power. In the word, we find justification. In the word, we find sanctification. In the words, we find the, we find the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In the word, we find the mysteries revealed. In the word, we see the coming of the Lord. And in the word, we see dancing. And in the word, we see shouting. And in the word, we see rejoicing. And in the word, we see frolic. And not only do we see it, he says, praise me that way. So yes, let's give it the word test. Yep, it's in there. I gave it the word test. I didn't leave the word field. It's in the word field. Now you take your own advice. And when you find it in the word field, don't throw it out. Bend with it. Blow with it. Frolic with it. Say, Lord, I'm here. I see how the service is going. I'm here to give you a drink. I'm here to pour it out. I'm here to worship you. Surely somebody can draw their sword today and say, Lord, it's Memorial Day. I remember. I remember what you went through. I remember that you're thirsty. And today, Lord, I'm here to give you a drink. However you move, whatever you want, whatever you call for, my life will give you a drink. My worship will give give you a drink I will not leave the king of kings hanging on a cross this morning thirsty but he's come and he says I thirst I thirst can I find that drink here can I find that drink here brother Brown says he says uh, he says it's so hard to stand alone and he's just pleading with the people he's pleading why little Bethlehem and he's pleading with them and he says, it's so hard to stand alone. He says, is there somebody out there that'll fight with me? Is there somebody out there that'll cut through the Philistines? Is there somebody out there that'll draw their sword? And he just pleads, he says, oh, come on, Bethlehem dwellers. Come on, born again Christians. He says, our king's thirsty. Surely somebody will fight through all this formalism with me. Draw their sword and go get the king a fresh drink of Pentecostal water. Surely there's somebody in Evening Light Tabernacle today that says, Lord, I'm drawing my sword. Lord, I'll never come here again and leave you thirsty. But Lord, today, 
I want to give you a drink. I want to give you a drink in my praise. I want to give you a drink in my worship. But now let's go ahead and end it in the right way with balance. I want my life to give you a drink. I want Monday to give you a drink. I want Tuesday to give you a drink. I want the drink that I pour out on Wednesday night to match the life that I lived on Monday and Tuesday. And I want the drink that I pour out on Sunday to match the life that I lived on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Let our lives be a drink offering to the King. God bless you, saints. Thank you.